Listen, man, that young lady is really talented. Did she surprise you when she opened her mouth? It's like, wow, she is really good. Hey, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 3 today if you have your Bible. Take your Bible, Daniel chapter 3, or your phone or your iPad or whatever you use to follow along in the Bible. Our ushers are going to come down the aisle. If you didn't bring a Bible today, they're going to, they'll give you one. Just wave at them if you need to have a Bible. We are going to, we're going to read a lot of Scripture today. Um, so this would be a good day to have a Bible on your lap with a, uh, with a pen so that you can follow along. We, we should have given you a pen. They're available uh, if you need a pen as well. And there's some study notes for our Bible study time that looks something like this that we gave you so that you can follow along today as well. Uh, but today we're going to study. We, we are in a, uh, in a series called Bedtime Stories. And we as a church have been studying the greatest stories, the greatest historical narratives in the entire Bible. And today we come to maybe one of the most well-known narratives in the entire Bible. And it's one that I believe has the power, maybe more than others, to really open your eyes to what you need in your life to make it spiritually. In 1993, uh, two producers had an idea for a television show. um, And they put together a cast and they put together a crew And they went to L.A. and they filmed a pilot and they took a pilot to NBC and they said, hey, here's our idea for this show. And and they they wrote a show uh, that was called Insomnia Cafe. And it was about a a group of uh, a group of 20 somethings that would after work, they would go to this uh, this cafe and they would have coffee and they would stay up into the late hours of the night talking about life and love and work and just whatever, whatever there was Insomnia Cafe. 1993. Have any of you ever seen Insomnia Cafe? It, it, was, it was one of the greatest selling TV shows in the history of television. Uh, it was on for 10 years, ran more than 200 episodes. Uh, by the final year, each cast member in this show, Insomnia Cafe, made more than a million dollars an episode because it was one of the, it's been ranked by TV Guide, the 20th best show in the history of television, Insomnia Cafe. But it didn't come that, it didn't become that until they changed the name of it. Because they said the name of this show is not going to draw anybody in. So we, we would propose that you change the name of the show. And you know the name of the show because it was about six friends named Rachel and Joey and Monica and Ross and Chandler and Phoebe. And the name of the show, of course, is Friends. You said they see, as, as, when they took the show to NBC, NBC said, you know, nobody cares about a bunch of people who can't sleep sitting up at a coffee shop. But everyone, listen to me. But everyone needs friends. And if we will call that friends, people will be scrolling their TV guide. People will be scrolling the newspaper. When they see that word, friends, they'll stop because everyone needs friends. And it became one of the greatest television shows, making more money than almost any other television show. Really, it's only besides Seinfeld in the 90s of how much money that it made and how many people watched it. A show simply called, what's the word again? Friends, you know, one of the greatest stories in the entire Bible that we're going to study today is a story about friends and we're going to see it and we're going to remember it for several different things. And and many of you have read this story. You may have taught this story. You may have acted out this story in vacation Bible school. Our kids every Sunday learn the same Bible story that we're learning in the main service. So today they're learning about this and your kids are going to remember uh, the fiery furnace. But today I want you to focus on and remember the friends, because I don't know that anyone in here will ever be put in the situation where you will be either asked to recant your faith or thrown into a fiery furnace to live. I don't know that anyone in here will live through that situation. Probably no one. However, 
Everyone in this room today, if you want to grow spiritually, needs more Christian friends. So today we want to focus on the friends, not the fire, in one of the greatest stories in the Bible. Daniel chapter 3, and it starts out like this. We'll read, uh, we'll read through 28 verses, and then we'll come back and we'll learn a little bit about spiritual friends. Uh, Daniel chapter 3 starts out this way. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and 60 cubits wide, and he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now I want to stop right there just to catch up on a little history on the story. Uh, I told you if you were here last week, as we talked about Jonah and the whale, Israel had a civil war. The northern half was called Israel. By this time, they were gone. The southern half was called Judah. Judah was also conquered. Uh, and they were either killed or taken captive. We'll read a little bit about it in Daniel 1 in just a few moments. But they were taken to Babylon, which is modern-day uh, Iraq. Um, and, and just about 45 miles south of current-day Baghdad, there's a plain in the desert called Dura. And there, the king of Babylon, his name was King Nebuchadnezzar, set up an idol 90 feet high. Many people think it was a statue of himself uh, that he brought the people to worship. Now, a few years ago, when the American troops and the Allied forces went in uh, to conquer uh, Iraq and to overthrow the regime, uh, they found out that uh, Saddam Hussein was trying to do this exact same thing in the exact same spot. He was trying to build a 90-foot statue of himself to relive what we find in the book of Daniel. It's wild history that has become present-day times. But this is what's going on. Babylon has conquered Judah. They've either killed everyone or taken them captive. And now some of the people, most of them are dead, but some of them are living as prisoners, as slaves in Babylon, modern-day Iraq, and that's where this story picks up. Also, I'll read first one again now that we've got a little history. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high. That's 90 feet. Six cubits wide. That's 18 feet. And he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. These are basically government workers. So the uh, satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and peoples of every language, this is what you're commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and all the peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and they denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And whoever does not fall down and worship the image will be thrown into the blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you've set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Here's their name, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who uh, pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image you've set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you don't serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I've set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the stuff, if you are ready to fall down, I don't know why they wrote every instrument every time. It's like, come on, got it. Um, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image that I made, very good. But if you don't worship it, you're going to be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. 
If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he doesn't, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, Certainly, Your Majesty. And he said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire. They're unbound and they're unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace, and he shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire hadn't harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. The robes weren't scorched. There was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angels and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command, and they were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Now that narrative of Scripture is one of the most famous that has ever been written because it's so fun to tell, because you can see it in your eyes, these young Jewish kids that are forced to choose between life and death, and they choose death, and what would have been, if you can picture it, kind of like a baseball dugout, that was filled with fire. That would have been what the furnace looked like. So you could kind of see in and out of it. And you read this story and you're just amazed at what God did. But maybe what we miss in 2012, you know, because we're really good at reading the Bible and thinking, boy, if I ever stood before a fiery furnace, what would I ever do? I mean, we we try to literally put ourselves in every situation instead of sometimes just understanding the spiritual truth. And when I read this story, here's the way that I look at it. Man, do I have two friends who believe the same thing I do spiritually? Do I have two friends that are trying to help me spiritually? Like, do I have two Christian friends on a daily basis that when life gets hard, I know they're right by my side at all, this, all, the, at, at all times? Because when I read this story, I, I see friends, not fire. Matter of fact, the fire is inconsequential in this story. It doesn't do anything to anyone. But the friends, man, the friends change how we remember three Christian friends who... They're always mentioned together in Scripture. They live together. They nearly died together. But they're remembered together, three Christian friends. I, I want to talk to you a little bit today about Christian friendship. Because this has been weighing on my mind really the last month. And it seems like every Bible study I've been in, every conversation I've been in, I've done two youth camps the last couple of weeks, one in Atlanta, Georgia. Last week I was between Dallas and Houston, Texas, in a little town called Nacogdoches, Texas, where Stephen F. Austin University is. And I was preaching to kids there. And it seems like everything in spiritual life is hinging on whether or not I have good Christian friends or don't have good Christian friends to help me in my spiritual journey. And as I read this story and as I just study the book of Daniel as a whole, and next week we're going to talk about the guy who wrote the book. His name's Daniel. We're going to talk about Daniel and the lion's den, and we're going to pull some spiritual principles out of that. But I want to talk to you today about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and their story and their friendship. And I want to see if any of us can get anything out of it today. You know, this story really begins in Daniel chapter 1 with what I would call the presence of Christian friends. The presence of Christian friends. You know, I asked a question last, last week in Texas. Um, 
at a student camp that we were at that I, I won't ask here because a lot of times we, adults don't respond like kids do. Um, but I asked the students, the, the few hundred students that were at that camp, I asked them this question. Um, how many of you, your best two or three friends in life, uh, are the two or three most spiritually passionate people you know? Like you're very, the, the people that are closest to you in life are the very best Christians you know. And asked the students, I said, if that's you, stand up. And out of a room of 200, 250, 300 people, six people stood. Six people from five churches, from three or four different states, interns from around the country, all the adults. I give it to the adults and interns. And by the way, not one adult stood. Um, and I thought, you know, we have a problem. Because we're trying to live for Jesus and we're trying to make it in life. And basically what you're telling me is that the people you interact, is, you interact with most, the people you're closest to, do not love Jesus as much as you do, and maybe they don't love Jesus at all. That's a hard life to live. And as you begin to talk to teenagers and people, here's the comment that comes up. I just, I don't have any Christian friends. I don't know any Christian people. Well, when we read this story, we find out that the first part of finding good Christian friends to help you grow spiritually is understanding where they are and realizing that they're around you if you open your eyes in the right directions. Go back to Daniel chapter 1. Because in Daniel chapter 1, we find out how these three guys become friends in the first place. And it was under the worst circumstances and situations that you could possibly find a friend, but they found one. And in Daniel chapter 1 and verses 1 through 7, we read kind of the story of the overthrow of Judah and kind of what happened as the country was conquered. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and he besieged it. That means they basically locked it up. They closed up all the water supply, all the food supply, and they, they, they starved the people in the city to death until they came out. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. And he, these he carried off to the temple of his own God in Babylonia, and he put them in the treasure of the house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of the court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family of nobility. So they said, kidnap some of the people from the royal family and bring them back to Babylon. Verse 4, here's who you to get. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them daily amount of food and wine from the king's table, they were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen, chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names, to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. So we find out, you say, you know, how did these, man, you look at these three guys standing toe-to-toe with the king of the most powerful nation in the world, and they're getting ready to face death. Man, they must have known each other their entire lives, right? Doesn't appear so. It's like, well, they must have met, met like at a youth camp when all of them were on a spiritual high, and, you know, they, they realized, I'm living for Jesus, and you're living for Jesus, and, you know, these guys must have been real tight, right? It doesn't read that way. According to Scripture, they met each other when they were kidnapped, probably after their parents had been killed. And they met each other somewhere between current-day Israel and modern-day Baghdad, somewhere along a 550-mile trail. They met each other. They realized they were in the same circumstance, same situation, trying to survive the same thing. And at some point, these four guys, Daniel, 
Azariah, Hananiah, and Mishael. I, I don't understand why we remember Daniel by his God-given name, Daniel, but we remember these three by their pagan name, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We just do. But these four kind of said, hey, man, it, it's like us against the world. And I don't know if we can do this by ourselves. You know, if, if we were to read more carefully, we find out that these men were sent to Babylon and they became eunuchs. You say, what does that mean? That means they were castrated, all of them, as teenagers, and then they were sent to serve the king. You say, why did they castrate the people who served the king? Because he didn't want him messing around with his women, so they just took care of that up front. These kids met each other in some of the worst circumstances that anyone could ever meet anyone. The environment at their job was worse than the environment at your job. The environment at their school, teenagers, was worse than the environment at your school. The environment in their neighborhood was worse than the environment in your neighborhood. The block parties where they live were worse than the block parties you live. All these reasons that you think, you know, I just, I, I, just, I don't know any Christians. Yet you come to church and you sit around other people trying to move in the same direction that you're moving. Many of them live in the same community you live. And you know, a lot of people come into church every Sunday and you don't know the cell phone numbers of five people in this room and you've never hung out with more than two or three of them outside of church. You're surrounded by people living the same life you are, struggling with the same struggles you are, but you've not decided to band together yet. And we've got a church that is so splintered through denominations, through beliefs, through I go to this church, I go to that church, and it's like Christians don't even like Christians. And then Christians are in a world saying, you know, I, can't, I wish I could grow spiritually, but I don't, I, don't have, like, I don't have anybody like these guys that would stand with me spiritually. I want to stand here and tell you today, if you don't find... Christian friends in your life that are going to help you spiritually, if you don't learn where to locate them and grab onto them, you're not going to make it very long spiritually. You'll never become what God wants you to become. In Proverbs 18.24, there's a really interesting verse. And it says this, because some of you think, well, you know, I just don't have any Christian friends. Proverbs 18.24 said, a man who has friends must himself be friendly. When's the last time that you got out of your comfort zone and went to a men's group so you could meet some men? I don't get up that early. Is it important to you? When's the last time you got out of your comfort zone and you went to a ladies' group to meet ladies you didn't know? Or as a couple, you and your wife went to a small group? When's the last time you showed up early to serve so you could meet some people? You see, in, in the spiritual journey of trying to connect to people who will help us grow spiritually, you have to put forth effort. Like when you become a Christian, you aren't just handed a Christian friend. You have, you have to find one. And man, I tell you, the only people worse than finding friends uh, than students at a new school are adults in a new church. It's like everyone is just weird. We don't know what people believe and who they are. And it's like, you know, I don't know if they'll like me. And I don't know if I'm a strong enough Christian. And I don't know if I'm like them. And what if they make fun of me? So we just choose to remain in solitude. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego weren't going to make it in solitude. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, the wisest man who ever lived, his name was Solomon, said this about needing spiritual companionship, friendship in life. Solomon says two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. But two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Man, the most powerful section of that verse is when Solomon said, someone who falls alone, man, they're in serious trouble. Like if you're trying to live for Jesus and you don't have other people in your life who are trying to live for Jesus on a constant basis and you begin to fall spiritually, you're in trouble. It's like nobody's going to call you. 
Nobody's going to reach out and try to help you up. Nobody's going to ask how you're doing. You're, you're in trouble. Y'all, y'all remember Mr. T? Y'all grew up in the Mr. T generation, right? You remember Mr. T's favorite phrase? What was Mr. T's favorite phrase? I pity the fool. That, that literally is what Solomon is saying right here. Solomon says, someone with no Christian friends, man, I pity the fool. Because when life gets hard, and it does, they're in real trouble. So let me ask you, do you, do you have any Christian friends? You say, what makes a good Christian friend? What, what, this question was asked in our small group two weeks ago. What, like, what makes a good Christian friend? Well, I want to show you if I can. I, I want to show you what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel were to each other. Because we find out within this story, we find out a whole lot more about friendship than we do about fire. And we find out in this narrative what makes a good Christian friend. First, we find out that a good Christian friend is having people, the presence of friends that actually pray for you, pray with you, pray over you. Friends that talk to God. So I got to, you know, I, yeah, we went to church with a couple for like a long, yeah, we have Christian friends. We believe the same thing. Yeah, I got a friend, I got a buddy that I went to Catholic school with. Yeah, we, I, you know, I got, I got religious friends. I'm not asking if you got religious friends or if you have friends at church. I'm asking if you have Christian friends that are helping you grow spiritually. The answer for most adults, by the way, is no. 24 months ago, if you would ask me this question, how many Christian friends do you have, like real Christian friends, it would have been, like, it would have been less than two. And a lot of times, zero is what it felt like. Like, and I'm a pastor. So I'm not expecting everyone in here to feel like that they have a youth camp experience in, in their friendships. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 14 through 18. See, here's what friends do for each other. Um, and I was going to read all Daniel chapter 2, but it's so long I won't. Here, here's what happened in Daniel chapter 2. So in Daniel chapter 1, these guys, uh, they get kidnapped. They get castrated. They're put into the king's service. They find each other because the next time we see them mentioned in Scripture, they all live together. So they, they banded together and became like a band of brothers spiritually. Um, and the next time we find them in Scripture, here's the situation. Nebuchadnezzar had a nightmare. He got, and he woke up one day and he's like freaked out of his mind. And for a few days he had this nightmare. He just freaked out of his mind. So he called the astrologers and the magicians to him who, who he thought could do anything. And he's like, man, I've had this bad dream like a few nights in a row. Um, can, you all, can you all tell me what it means? And like, well, tell us what happened. So he told them what happened, and they, they, they went and talked about it. They're like, you know, we, we can't tell you. And Nebuchadnezzar got so mad that he said, y'all are worthless. Like, if you can't even tell me my own dreams, you're worthless. He said, just kill all the wise men. So they started going door to door, killing all the wise men. Knock, knock. Hey, what's going on? King had a dream. Did you hear about it? I didn't hear about it. Okay, you're dead. Next door, knock, knock. King had a dream. Did you hear about it? Can you tell the king what it meant? I didn't even hear about it. Okay, you're dead. And they get to Daniel's door. And in chapter 14, Daniel, or in, in chapter 2, verse 14, Daniel's smart enough to say, hang on, what happened? And here's what's happened. Verse 14. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men in Babylon... Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and with tact. We talked several weeks ago about this word tact, how you have to have it in Christianity today. Verse 15, he asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Verse 17, I want you to see if you have anyone in your life you can do this with. Then Daniel returned to his house... And he explained the matter to his what? Say it again, I didn't hear you. His friends. Immediately went and told his friends what was happening. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from God, from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that he and his, what's the word there? Friends 
would not be executed with the rest of the wise men in Babylon. When is the last time you face something so dire and your first reaction was to, to go to a friend's house and say these words, I need you to pray for me? Because that's what Daniel did. Daniel's first reaction was to call his best friends in the world and say, I need you to pray for me. I need you to pray with me. I need you to pray over me. Like, man, if God doesn't move, I'm in big, big trouble. You see, most of our friends, we can't even use that vernacular with because we don't know if they know God. We don't know if they love God. We don't know if they're active spiritually. We might think that they're weirded out. I mean, how, how many friends do you have saved in your cell phone right now that you could send them a text message and say, just pray for me for the next hour. I'm facing something huge. And you know beyond a shadow of a doubt they would stop what they were doing and start praying for you. That's what I'm talking about when I say a Christian friend. Somebody who will stop their world to pray for you. When I talk about prayer, I'm talking about, if you, if you want to jot these words down, I'm talking about specific prayer. You say, what, is, what, like, what do you mean by specific prayer? I'm talking about people who like, are engaged in your life spiritually like, for this reason. Write down the words daily prayer. How many people do you have in your life that you know they pray for you every day? Every day they pray for you. Because I, I have a list of pastors and friends who will text me throughout the week and say, man, I just want you to know I'm praying for you. And any time I face any kind of major decision, I, I could rattle off. I, I, have a, I have an email list of friends, just friends who pray for this church and have been praying for this church since September of 2010. And anytime anything happens in this church, I email this list of 40 people and say, just pray. And I know they'll start praying. How many people do you have in your life that pray for you every day? I won't ask you to raise your hand. But I wonder if, if I ask this question, don't raise your hands if you, you know, because I don't want to embarrass anyone. But if I were to ask this question, how many of you don't think you have one person in your life that prays for you every day? Raise your hand. I bet there would be a lot of hands in this place that would go up. I don't know that, of anyone that prays for me every day. This is what I talk about when I, when I talk about friends who can pray. I, I'm talking about not only daily prayer, but spiritual prayer. Write down those words. So what do you mean by spiritual prayer? I'm talking about people that when you're struggling spiritually, when you have questions spiritually, when you fail spiritually, you go to and say, hey, I need you to pray for me. Because I'm struggling. Hey, I need you to pray for me. I'm really stressed. Hey, I need you to pray for me. I'm not, my marriage isn't going well right now. Hey, I need you to pray for me. I, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about switching jobs. How many people in your life are praying for you spiritually? James 5.16 says this about friends. It says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. James says, listen, man, if you want to grow spiritually, you've got to have friends in your life that when you mess up spiritually, you call them and say, dude, I need you to pray for me. I really messed up spiritually. How many people do you have in your life like that? Man, I got blindsided with this question. This week in Texas, a guy came and spoke. He's one of my favorite speakers. And I said, please come to our church and speak. And he said, I will. But when I went up, I hadn't seen him in a year. He works for FCA. He's the South Carolina Gamecocks team chaplain. He works with Coach Spurrier, worked with Coach Holtz before that for the last seven or eight years. So he's real involved in FCA and college football. Um, and he's kind of become a buddy. And, and when I walked up to him and said, Adrian, what's going on, man? Um, shook his hand, gave him his hug. He looked at me and said, hey, man, when's the last time you looked at pornography? It was like the first thing he said to me. 
what? And he started laughing. He said, oh, I'm just kidding. And then he said this, how many friends do you have that you can be that honest with? God told me to speak to you this summer about the men in your life, the friends you have around you. It's like, dude, I, like, I just wanted to say hi. You know, I, I wasn't planning on all this. But he knows the importance of Christian friends. Who, who prays for you spiritually? That's what I'm talking about in a Christian friend. Who prays for you? Write, write these two words down. Growth prayer. Who's praying for your spiritual growth? And who is the person that helps you grow spiritually? You ask them your questions. You know what the church world has done today? They've left it to the pastors to be these people. That's why the pastors are all stressed out. Because you, you pastor can't help a hundred people. I listened yesterday to a deal about when a church that's growing should go from one service to two services, and they made this comment. It's impossible. Psychologically, it's been studied. It's impossible to have a relationship with more than 60 people. So for a pastor to be effective for everyone in his church, it has to be 60 or under. Once it grows beyond 60, a pastor can't pray for everyone and answer every phone call and do that. And most of you say, well, you know, I, you know, I don't have a pastor on call, so I, just, I don't have anyone who helps me grow spiritually. See, friends are supposed to do that for each other. You're supposed to find someone who's a little ahead of you spiritually and kind of latch on to them. So, well, you know, nobody's asked me to be a friend. To be a friend, you've got to be friendly. Maybe you should just go jump into their life and say, hey, I'm here. Help me. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the message of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs. The Apostle Paul told the church in Colossians, Hang out with Christians, because when you hang out with Christians, you're going to start talking about spiritual things, and everyone's going to grow. Growth prayer. How many friends do you have that you practice? You just write these two words down. Corporate prayer. How many friends in your life do you practice corporate prayer with? Say, like, what is that? Like, you get together and you pray together about certain things. You know, my little sister, um, who many of you know and you've met, uh, had a baby on, was it it Thursday, right? Was it Wednesday? Um, Had a baby Wednesday night after three miscarriages. Um, Her first baby after three. And we just, we thought she'd never get pregnant again. We thought she'd never carry a pregnancy. And all of a sudden she... You know, she did. She finally had her baby. So I was so excited to rush from, from Dallas to Chicago so that I could spend a few days with her. But I started talking to Pastor Ryan a little bit. Hannah, who you just saw sing, is his daughter. Um, and Ryan and I were talking about Pastor Ryan and Heather. Their, their first pregnancy ended in a miscarriage. And I can remember it like it was yesterday when Danielle and I went over with Ryan and Heather and our pastor and his wife, and we had corporate, like we all just prayed together. Like who, when your life sucks, who comes over to your house and prays with you? Who, when you lose your job, comes and not prays for you, prays with you? Who, when your kid breaks his arm, comes and visits you in the hospital just to pray with you? This type of this is the type of friends that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have. And here's what I'm beginning to realize: that the dead silence in this room today, the lack of real humor and emotion, I think, is this. Everyone is beginning to realize today. I don't have any Christian friends. And that's an issue spiritually for, like, the church today. I don't have any friends like that. If you want to live the life spiritually that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do, you're going to have to develop some Christian friends like this. In Hebrews 10.25, the author of Hebrews says, Don't neglect meeting together. Don't neglect hanging out with each other, as some people are doing, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Don't neglect getting together and hanging out. Got to hang out with Christian people. Why? Because you just encourage people spiritually. Now, you also need to hang out with non-Christian people because he's going to reach your world if we don't. But 
some of your finest moments need to be spent with your Christian friends just growing spiritually together. So you need to have the pre- What's a Christian friend? You need to have the presence of Christian friends that pray for you, with you, over you, anytime you need it. They're yours spiritually. Um, number three, according to what we read here, you have to have the presence of Christian friends in your life that share your convictions. You have to believe what you believe. They've got to hold you accountable for what you want to be held accountable for. And they, they have to be living a similar life spiritually as you live, or they're not going to be any good to you. They, these have to be people who are kind of moving in the same direction spiritually as you are. I want you to, uh, I want you to do something with me. We're going to read from Daniel chapter 3, verse 12 through verse 18. And I want you to circle the words when I tell you to circle the words. Okay? Starting in verse 12. And I'm in the New International Version. The, the people came, the astrologers came to tell on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they said, there are some Jews whom you set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who don't pay any attention to you, your majesty. They, circle the word they. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, circle the word them. Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you don't worship or serve the gods and the image that I've set up? Now, when you hear the music play... Fall down. Worship the image. It's good. If you don't, I'm going to kill you. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we, circle the word we. We don't need to defend ourselves, circle the word ourselves, before you in this matter. If we, circle the word we. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we, circle the word we. We serve is able to deliver us, circle the word us, from it. And he will deliver us, circle the word us, from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we, circle the word we, want you to know, your majesty, that we, circle the word we, will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you set up. Ten times, ten times in seven verses, a plural pronoun is described to use the name of the person making the decision. Well, who, who decided it should be this way? We did. Well, who's going to be punished if you're wrong? We are. Well, who's in this together? Us. What about the ours? They were like, we're like we're in this together. Like we all believe in the same God, the same way. We trust in the same way. We are we are in this spiritual like like we are interlinked. Ten times the plural pronoun is used. We ourselves, they, them, us. We're in it together. You know, if you have friends that don't share your spiritual convictions, they're not going to guide you with spiritual wisdom. And you might find yourself in trouble. In, uh, in 1 Kings chapter 12, you don't have to turn there. Solomon, who was the wisest man in the world according to Scripture, had a son. His name was Rehoboam. And Solomon died and Rehoboam took over the throne. And Rehoboam had spiritual friends. And the Bible said he had unspiritual friends. And the southern kingdom was about to revolt because Solomon had, or the northern kingdom was, was getting ready. This was right before the civil war to bolt from the southern kingdom and there was going to be a big war and they went to Rehoboam and they just said, listen, man, your dad worked this really hard building all this stuff. If you'll just be easy on us, we'll follow you and everything will be okay. And he went to his spiritual friends and they said, what do you think? And they said, you should do it um, because that's like half the country and if you serve them now, they'll know you love them forever. And he went to his unspiritual friends and he said, what do you think? They said, kill them. You know, they're rebellious, they're lazy. And the Bible says he listened to his unspiritual friends and went back and said, okay, here's what we're going to do. You're complaining about my dad. I'm going to be ten times as hard as my dad. And they said, all right, we're out. And they literally seceded from the nation and started a civil war. The nation has never been brought together since Rehoboam acted on bad advice from his friends. So let me ask you this. 
When you're talking to your friends about your job and a crucial decision that you need to make, are these spiritual friends who are using spiritual wisdom? When you're talking to your friends about your marriage, are these spiritual friends using spiritual wisdom? Your kids, raising your kids, your money, your emotions. Here's what I'm going through. Here's what I'm feeling. You see, if we let the wrong people guide us, we're going to go in the, right, in, in the wrong direction. Jesus said in the New Testament, when unspiritual people try to guide spiritual people, he says it's like the blind leading the blind. Like they could all just walk off a cliff together. You've got to have spiritual friends in your life. You have to have friends that share your convictions. And not only do you need to have friends that share your convictions, but number four, and we'll stop with this, you have to have friends in your life that will partner with you in the Christian life. Say, where is that? We just finished chapter 3. So Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter, commanded his soldiers, tie him up, throw him in. Verse 24, they got thrown in. And Nebuchadnezzar says, wait a minute. I want you to see what happens here. This is like a really good point, okay? Were there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. And he said, look, I see how many? Four walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like the son of the gods. You know what happens when three people bond together spiritually in a friendship? Every time they're together, like Jesus shows up. You know what I mean? You have Christian friends that you play golf with or you lift weights with or you run with or you're in a book club with or you're in a small group with or you eat lunch with. You see, anytime two or three, it's what Matthew 18 says, anytime two or three Christian friends get together and start living life, Jesus always shows up. He's always, he's always there. And they start talking about what's going on in the family and they start talking about how God's blessing them and they start talking about things they're praying about and they start talking about where they're reading in Scripture. You see, you say, what is a Christian friend? A Christian friend is that every time you're with them, Man, Jesus is like right in the midst of what you're doing. So you're doing activity A, but it's like, it's like a Bible study. You're just, Jesus is right there with you. That's what real Christian friends are. And that's what happened in Daniel chapter 3. These three banded together, and this, in the Old Testament is called what's called a Christophany. It's, a, it's, a, it's an angelic appearance of Christ who would not come to the New Testament. But every now and then he came and like rescued the day in, in the Old Testament. When people bond together spiritually, Jesus shows up. Proverbs 8.24, I mean, listen, I, I'm glad Jesus is my friend. Proverbs 18.24 says there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. It's, it's talking about Jesus. That's great. But sometimes, according to Scripture, we need Jesus and friends to move forward spiritually. In 1 Corinthians 15.10, I heard this verse this week at camp, and it stuck out to me because I believe it's true. Although it's not it's not moving all of us is where we need to be. I believe it's true. In 1 Corinthians 15.10, here's what Paul said. He said, By the grace of God, I am what I am. In His, meaning God's grace, to me wasn't without effect. Here's what Paul is saying. By the grace of God, I am what I am because He changed me. Like what He did in my life, it changed me. It didn't leave me the same. And I believe everyone in here who's had an encounter with Jesus will say that Jesus has changed me. And if I were to ask you, well, why aren't, why aren't you moving forward faster spiritually? The answer is, because I don't have any Christian friends. I don't have anyone to help me. And I'm not talking about just people you go to church with, people when you're small. I'm talking about people that you just you do life with. Christian friends that help you move forward. 
You know, the stronger your friends are spiritually, the stronger you'll be. Any of you watch Saturday Night Live? I used to watch it a bunch when I was a kid. It's pretty funny. A few years ago, Peyton Manning hosted it. And um, they had a, uh, and they might have a picture. Peyton Manning led a practice of United Way kids in this Saturday Night Live skit. And they were just terrible. They couldn't catch and they couldn't run. I mean, they must have got the worst of the worst to come be on Peyton Manning's team. He's trying to coach them. And by the end of the skit, he is screaming at them, Catch the ball! Run the right! I mean, just going nuts on these kids. And I was laughing at that, but I I had this thought. I thought, you know what? If Peyton Manning wouldn't have ever played with other good football players, he wouldn't be the Peyton Manning we knew. Like if the people around him stunk, he would be no good. But because he has good players around him, he's good too. How good is your team spiritually? Problem is some of you play on a golf team spiritually. Like you don't even have teammates. It's just you all by yourself. Some of you play on a basketball team spiritually, have four or five people, but people who play on a football team spiritually, they got 11, 12 people in their life who are grown spiritually. Man, you're going to be great. Have, uh, are you all ready to watch the Olympics? A couple weeks the Olympics starts. I'm excited to watch Michael Phelps and others. But the, uh, the NBA basket, the, the basketball team, the USA Olympic basketball team has had some drama this week. I don't know if you've, if you've watched or paid attention. Even if you don't like basketball, you'll probably know these two names. Kobe Bryant who is the star of this year's U.S. Olympic team, has come out and said that he believes his team could have beat Michael Jordan's dream team in 1992. Um, when they asked Michael Jordan, they found Michael Jordan and said, hey, Kobe thinks that his team this year could beat your 1992 team. What do you think? He literally laughed out loud in the microphone. Um, and here's why. I didn't know this until just this week. That 1992 dream team is what they're called. Had 11 NBA players on that team. All 11 are in the Hall of Fame. They were 11 of the greatest players in the history of the world, all on the same team. And do you remember how much their average margin of victory was in that Olympics all the way through the gold medal game? 49 points was their average margin. Watch. Because when you're surrounded by the best, man, you kick Satan's tail all over the place. When you're surrounded by the best people you know spiritually, Christianity almost becomes like a practice to you. Because the best of the best are there with you. And you are all becoming what God wants you to be. What the people in this church need to do, you need to search for your dream team spiritually. You need to reach out to them and say, hey, let's play on the same team. And let's live this life never losing spiritually. Because together, man, we're the best of the very best. Would you pray with me? And as, uh, as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, a couple questions this morning. Question number one is this. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Please, nobody looking around. If after today, you realize there is a serious lack in your life of strong, multiple Christian friends, and you will acknowledge that, so that I can begin praying for you. If you would say, Christian, it is clear today. I don't really have many, or maybe any, strong, true Christian friends. And I just, I pray that, uh, I pray that I'll find those. Would you just slip your hand up so I can pray for you? Just all over, just be honest. I don't really have any strong Christian friends. You can put your hands down. God, I pray for all those who just raise their hand. Because, Lord, we can read our Bible and we can pray and we can go to our church and we can get engaged in everything spiritually. But, Lord, if the people we're living life with 
aren't helping us just become so great spiritually. Lord, we'll never, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, face great spiritual challenges and come out unscathed. Yet that's what we need in this life. So for everyone that was just honest enough that said, yeah, I I don't have very many. Lord, put people in their path. Help them to open their eyes to the presence of people that are already in their life. Might be somebody sitting with them in a row tonight or someone who's in their small group later or someone who works with them and they kind of, they know each other Christians, but they've never had a conversation about it. Help us to seek out people who are trying to live the life that we're living and to grow together with them like Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah did along with Daniel. And God, I pray for those who uh, in the room who maybe are just starting their spiritual journey. With every head bowed and every eye closed, ask our teenagers this morning in our student discipleship class if they could remember when they became a Christian. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, I told them, I said, it's, remember, it, it's good. You have a birth certificate. That's when you were born. You need to remember when you became a Christian. If you're in the room today and, and you can't think of in your life a time where you were ever born spiritually, like a, a time and a place where you gave your life to Jesus, then make July 15, 2012 that time in Summit Lakes Middle School that place so that for the rest of your life your spiritual birth certificate has a stamp that you can remember. If you're in here and you've never been born spiritually, you've never given your life to God, you've never asked Jesus to come into your life and to do life with you like he did life with these three friends in Daniel chapter 3, you can do that today by saying this prayer. You can repeat it after me. You don't even have to pray it out loud. You can just pray it in your heart. Just pray this right now, dear God. Today, I want to become a Christian. I want to come alive spiritually. I pray today by faith that you will forgive me the sins in my life that have offended you, that you will come into my heart and life so that I can be born brand new spiritually and start living for you. And God, today, begin to surround me with a Christian dream team that will help me win spiritually in this lifetime. Thank you for loving me, saving me. Thank you for giving me eternal life one day when I die because I started my spiritual life today. In Jesus' name, now with every head still bowed and every eye still closed, if you just prayed that prayer and today you became a Christian, like for sure, you know it for sure, would you just slip your hand up so that I can know all over this place, Christian, today I prayed with you, today I know for sure I am a Christian. Now, God, thanks for what we've learned and what we've heard. We weren't just reading a story about fire today. We were reading a story about friends. We were seeing how the process of Christian friendship works. Put those people in our lives that we can be transformed forever. We love you. We need you. So we're asking you to help with this. We ask these things in Jesus' name today. And everyone said, Amen. Pastor Ryan, where are you?